0: Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark and John with you, and we are joined uh, once again by our esteemed general counsel here at N- NCLA, Jeanette Brown. And uh, Jeanette was was here uh, just a couple of sessions ago to talk about uh, a case called Choice Refrigerants v. United States Environmental Protection Agency. And here you are again to talk about a case with the same name, but this isn't filed in the same place. This one is filed in the Northern District of Georgia. And we recently filed a response to the defendant's motion to dismiss that case. So, maybe my first question to, to clarify for our audience what's the difference between these two cases?
1: Sure. And thank you for having me back. The difference is driven largely by the government trying to get out of liability and the limitations of the Clean Air Act. So, our prior case that we talked about in the last couple segments was our case in the DC Circuit, which was ultimately seeking to have the D.C. Circuit say that a rule passed by the EPA was unconstitutional because the EPA acted unconstitutionally in legislating, which is a power that it does not have. This action in the Northern District of Georgia is kind of the flip side of that coin. This doesn't go after the EPA acting unconstitutionally. It goes after Congress acting unconstitutionally when they passed the act that gave that power to the EPA. And it seeks relief, specifically a declaratory judgment and injunction that's not available against the EPA under the section of the Clean Air Act that we would have to sue them under.
0: And it wouldn't be available against Congress either. So if you're suing Congress for passing uh, passing off legislative responsibility that it's not allowed to do, then Your only choice is to enjoin the person that they're passing it off to. You can't. You can't enjoin Congress. Exactly. Yeah,
1: I couldn't. I couldn't hail the Congress from 2020 back into court. So, this was the (laughs) next best option. And this motion to dismiss is sort of par for the course, if you will, for a government agency response to a complaint: deny, evade. You know, try any procedural mechanism. Yes, anything to get the court from actually not considering the merits. So not terribly surprising that they would go this route, but it does introduce unnecessary delay.
0: Yeah, it's the Clean Air Act, but it's the dirty dog tactics. Is the, <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's
0: the way I look at it. Um, but so, uh, so what are the particular issues that are uh, relevant in this, in this case that our audience should understand?
1: Well, in the motion, the government is asserting that this court, the Northern District of Georgia, doesn't even have jurisdiction to hear this constitutional complaint um, against the statute. And their argument is that because of the Clean Air Act, this case has to be heard in the first instance in a court of appeals. um, And specifically because it's nationally related, it has to be in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a very friendly court for the EPA. So one aspect of it is the jurisdictional one. And then they essentially argued that there are no two sides to the coin. There is only one claim at issue here. Uh, and so they, again, want to move this case from here to the D.C. Circuit or to stay or dismiss this case while the D.C. Circuit case moves forward in their preferred jurisdiction.
0: Which is, the D.C. Circuit is just literally just down the street from the EPA headquarters. So.
1: Yes, and routinely <laughs> rules in favor of them with, with – opinions that start more with the environmental qualities of this of the object at issue than the law.
0: Mm. Yes. So the other thing that the that they said is that essentially you had to bring all of your claims together, that you've split your claims uh, and that you're not allowed to do that. Is that
1: well that's what they said. Um, I don't think that they really understand race judicata or claim splitting because The fact that we are bringing two separate claims against essentially two separate actors under two, they arise under two separate forms. So one arises directly under the Constitution, one arises under the Clean Air Act, and they provide two separate remedies. So we are not seeking claims that arise from the same cause of action, and so that's why we are not claim splitting. In addition, the D.C. Circuit had already addressed a prior version of this rule, and the D.C. Circuit said that it would not have jurisdiction over this claim if it did not address an action by the EPA because such a claim would not arise under the Clean Air Act. So we're essentially sort of following the trail that the D.C. Circuit laid out on how to have this claim heard elsewhere.
0: So we're halfway in, and Don, I mean, I haven't asked you to uh, recapitulate sort of what happened to our clients here. Like, what's the what's the actual problem that we're trying to resolve and address
1: Sure. So we represent Choice Refrigerants, which is a small business based out of Georgia, which is why we filed in Georgia. They produce refrigerant products that became subject to this act in 2020. It's called the American Innovation Manufacturing Act. And that act basically created a cap and trade scheme for their products, which had not previously been regulated that way. And so essentially what Congress said was, we need to take whatever HFC use we have in this country now and reduce it by 85% by 2026. EPA go figure that out and do it. They provided a bit more detail, but not about who would actually receive the what are called allowances, permissions to remain in business and at what percentage. So essentially the EPA now gets to decide who gets to participate in the domestic refrigerants HFC market and at what percentage of the market. And our client in that process had their market share disproportionately reduced.
0: And not just disproportionately reduced based on their current market share, but also they invented this stuff. And now the government's telling them that they can't use it, which I, I, if I were them, I would be little hot under the collar about that.
1: Yeah, they have a patent on a particular version of these refrigerants, a proprietary blend that is very popular. um, And they are not allowed to get the credit for all of the products that were necessary to produce their product uh, and they're not they are not um, getting credit for all of their proprietary blend that has come into the market because some of it has come in through uh, foreign pirating entities. Um, and so they don't even get the credit that they need to continue the business that they had their proprietary patented licensed technology.
0: So, so just so everyone's following the ball here, it's the American Innovation and Manufacturing Act, but the government, the EPA in all its wisdom, uh, allocated share to a Chinese entity that had pirated the American company's patented product. Wow.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so that's why the client, I think, is righteously indignant.
0: <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, so tell me about, uh, there's sort of a series of factors that you walk through in the uh, in the response to the motion uh, to dismiss about uh, whether jurisdiction exists here. And these are called the Thunder Basin factors, which may be familiar to some of our uh, listeners who followed the Cochrane case in all of its uh, <laughs> sort of uh, you know, iterations and, and different levels before we finally prevailed uh, at the Supreme Court uh, and were able to, to sort of say, look, that you, you don't have to look at the Thunder Basin factors to uh, to determine whether there's a jurisdiction uh, on the front end sometimes. But here we're, we're saying, look, that the Thunder Basin factors might apply or that if the court thinks they apply, it's it still favors our client.
1: The government says the Thunder Basin factors apply. Our argument is actually the Thunder Basin factors should not apply. The Thunder Basin factors, the question and sort of Thunder Basin is, can a company simultaneously in court litigate against an agency when there's an enforcement action proceeding and maybe the same issues could be addressed in the enforcement action? Maybe they couldn't, which is one of the factors. But our point is, our client isn't even subject to enforcement. Our client hasn't done anything wrong. So if there's going to be any judicial review of EPA agency action here, it's review of the rulemaking, which is extremely limited, and the remedy is even more so limited. So first, Thunder Basin doesn't apply. But if it were to apply or Because this isn't an
0: enforcement context. It's not
1: in the enforcement context. It doesn't have the same level of rigor that other statutory review provisions have, because it's just rulemaking. Um, So, But even if you were to apply the factors, they favor our client. The first factor being, will you get meaningful judicial review? And our point is, given the limitations in the Clean Air Act— and the remedies and the relief that it strips out, and the way that it limits judicial review in the rulemaking context in particular, you cannot get meaningful judicial review. There is no initial agency tribunal. None of those factors apply here. Um, So there will not be meaningful judicial review. And in fact, as I said, the D.C. Circuit has addressed a prior version of this rule and decided it couldn't even get to the merits of the question because of an administrative exhaustion requirement within the uh, within the Clean Air Act, w- so which again gets in the way of meaningful judicial review. So, uh, and then the
0: second factor is whether the lawsuit's wholly collateral to the agency proceeding.
1: Right, and like with Axon and Cochran and some of these other cases where courts have found you can go forward, the Supreme Court has found you can go forward with parallel court action. Here, we're not challenging the existence of the EPA. Not here. Um, But we are challenging their authority and ability to rule uh, because our point is they don't have the power to legislate. So it's the same type of analysis, slightly different setting.
0: And then the last factor, the relation of the claim to an agency's expertise.
1: Yes. And the Supreme Court has been very clear that agencies do not have any special expertise as it relates to interpreting and implying the Constitution. Um, and essentially, the agency is seeking sort of a, a go around for a deference through their initial interpretation of the statute, but they have no expertise in this area.
0: Right. And even, even APA 706 suggests that there won't be any deference given to constitutional interpretations uh, by agencies. So. But
1: APA 706 doesn't apply in agency rulemaking under the Clean Air Act.
0: Ah, Ah, okay, okay. Well, that's why we have an expert on this case, and it's not me. There you have it. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Jeanette, for uh, bringing our folks up to speed on this case. We'll keep tabs on it, and uh, good luck in the fight.
1: Thank you so much.